Welcome back to the Tickle the Twine podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Oman. Um, and so for this week, we are going to go ahead and uh, talk about the Southeast Division. Um, that includes the Atlanta Hawks, the Orlando Magic, um, the Charlotte Hornets, the Miami Heat, and the Washington Wizards. Kind of go over how this division is sitting. Um, we're going to have a lot of future talk with a couple of these teams and a lot of current current season talk with some of them um, just because of how kind of spread out this division is when it comes to the standings and how how good they've been so far this season um, so that's worth kind of checking in in on so we've got a lot of variety uh, um, here in the in this division um, and so to just go ahead and get started uh, I'm going to start again like I did last week uh, with the worst team in the division the Atlanta Hawks um, the Hawks uh they're 10 and 28, 15th in the East. Um, they also have the worst record in the NBA. So uh, the Hawks aren't just the worst team in the Southeast Division, the worst team in the Eastern Conference. They're also the worst team in the NBA. Um, they have the 21st ranked offense at a 506 offensive rating and the 29th ranked defense at a 111.6. Um, the Hawks, frankly, um, the, the hometown team, uh, I live here in Atlanta, and uh, they, they've just kind of been hard to watch this season. I've been to a game or two in person, and um, I, I went for non-Hawks reasons, you know, to see basketball, but not particularly to see the Hawks, and they're kind of hard to watch. Um, they've, got a, they've got a crop of young players that, that can be exciting. I've talked about Toreen Prince in the past. Uh, John Collins is also exciting. Um, and Dennis Schroeders is fun to watch as well, but otherwise, you know, they're not the most fun team to watch. Um they're kind of, you know, you can tell they're struggling. I mean, they lost Paul Millsap in free agency, and they traded away Dwight Howard to get out from under his contract. So um, I don't think it was expected for the Hawks to be very good this season, and uh, so far they've definitely kind of lived up to the expectations of being pretty bad. Um, I did. I mentioned Toreen Prince and John Collins. These have got, uh, their young guys have shown a little bit of potential. Um, both look like they can be quality NBA players, whether it be starter, role player roles. Um, it's kind of yet to be found out. I kind of lean towards uh, Torian Prince. Uh, we've seen him. This is his second year, so we've seen a little bit more of him. Prince seems to be setting the foundation to kind of be an elite 3 and D wing, kind of like what the Hawks had in Damari Carroll, but hopefully with a higher ceiling. Um, he's shown the ability to defend uh, some of the top small forwards in the league. Um, he's been, you know, better offensively, um, certainly than I expected already in his career, but he still obviously has room to improve on the offensive end of the floor. While uh, Collins, you know, coming out of Wake Forest, he was kind of known as a high high scorer, but also a high flyer, very bouncy and, and a hyper-athletic big, and that's kind of what he's been. Um, he's, he hasn't really shown a shooting range at all um, and, and does have some strength issues with banging down low, but... Um, uh, he's been a pretty good offensive rebounder. Um, he's a high-energy guy. He's getting his reps in. He's kind of learning how the NBA works. And at this stage, that's kind of like the most important thing, especially for the guy, uh, for a guy in his position. You know, he he just wants to, you just want him to kind of learn the ropes and kind of grow and grow. Um, and on a team this bad, it doesn't make a difference how uh, effective he he is. Um, Dennis Schroeder has also uh, been kind of quietly having his best. The best season of his career, um, he's averaging 19.6 points, just under 7 assists, and, and a steal, steal a game. He's also dramatically reduced his turnover rate um, from 16.3% of possessions last year to 12% so far this season. Um, his The number hasn't dropped. The per-game number hasn't dropped that much, and so that's why I kind of wanted to talk about the rate because Schroeder's using so, much, so many more possessions now. Um, it's impressive that he's been able to drop that rate so severely. Um, if they're, uh, and so that's that's definitely some improvement. Um, it's kind of crazy when you think about Schroeder. Um, he's been this is his fifth year in the league, um, but he's still only 24. He's still pretty young. He's got some growing that he can still do. 
Um, his three-point shooting, however, has not been very good this year. Uh, it's pretty been pretty uh, bad at 30%. That's kind of worrisome. You'd like it to be a little bit better. Um, the other specific player to point out is uh, Kent Bazemore. Um, he continues to be a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I was all in on Kent Bazemore after his 15-16 uh, season where he kind of he lit it up. Um, he played really well, kind of surprised with how well he played, and as a result, he got re- rewarded with a massive contract. Um, and then after that contract, after getting the contract, he kind of uh, has fallen off a little bit. He did not play very well last year. He kind of regressed from the 15-16 season. And then so far this this year, he's he's played uh, about the same level as what he was at in 15-16. Shot about the same, putting up about the same points and rebounds per game. But when you give a guy $18 million, um, you expect them to not just continue to produce how they had been in the past, but improve. And he has not done that so far. He's he's um, he's one guy that, um, along with like Alan Crabb, who you look back at that 15-16 season, which at the time a lot of people were saying like, yeah, they're getting a little too much money, but that's just how the salary cap is. And then the salary cap has stopped grow, didn't grow at that rate this past year, and so now his contract looks really really bad, and especially when he can't play up. And fulfill it. Um, I still have faith in Baysmore. Um, I think he'll figure it out. But um, it's and by and but figuring out needs to just see is is he a role player on a good team? Is he a good stats starter on a bad team like he is currently? Where does his role fit in the modern NBA? Um, certainly, um, he doesn't deserve 18 million, and so the Hawks have to are going to have to make a judgment on him. Kind of how the Trailblazers made a judgment on Crab. Um, do we continue with Crab or do we find a way to move him? just to get him off our books because he's not in our long-term plan. But the Hawks overall, not just with baseball, are kind of at a crossroads. Um, like I said, they've been really bad this year, and they have, they've got a roster that's mixed up with a lot, a lot of younger guys, but they do have some significant pieces on their roster that just you don't um, – that you're not sure if they're part of your long-term future. I talked about Bays; he's on the on the books for a couple more seasons. Um, Schroeder's on the books for at least two more years at twelve and a half million. Um, so is uh, Miles Plumley, which is the contract they got back for Dwight Howard, which not nearly as much as Dwight Howard's contract, upwards of twenty-two million. But still, for a guy that's not really playing for your team, um, it's hard to justify that twelve point five million that is basically just kind of been lit lit on fire and thrown in the garbage. Um, like I talked about with with um, with Baysmore, he's kind of what Crab is. Is he in the long term plans? Is he not? Um, if they if he's not in long term plans, the Hawks need to look into finding a suitor. Whether they trade him, what they want to do with him to just kind of move him, um, either move him. What what do they want to do? Um, they have to make a decision on him because um, if they can try and find a way to move on him, they got to start like putting putting that groundwork, uh, doing what the trailblazers did and recognizing that moving him might cost you something but if getting him off your books in order so you can sign someone else is better then go from that um and so the, the hawks future is going to be banked on probably taurine prince john collins and whoever they pick in the 2018 draft um at this point um they're sitting right there for the number one spot and but they do have to think about is uh schroeder going to be part of that part of that future core like i said he's pretty young he's only 24 um so he can very well be part of that that future going forward or do they want to move on from him how do they feel about his development how much he's going to continue to develop um uh they don't have extensive cap space because like i said they've got a ton committed to baysmore a ton committed to schroeder a good amount committed to miles Plumley. they also have a lot of dead cap 
Um, these are guys that they, you know, bought out for whatever reason, you know, stretched them, any, any kind of cap maneuvering like that to get them off the team. And they bought out Jamal Crawford, so they're currently paying Jamal Crawford $10 million this year. And that's, that's the majority of their $17 million in dead cap that they have this year that's not really helping their cap situation. And, you know, if the Hawks were, had more cap room because they didn't have all this dead money, they could do kind of what the Nets were doing, whereas they maybe take on another big cap guy in order to gain assets or something along those lines, but they're not really in position to do that. Um, so that kind of that kind of makes their decision-making harder. Um, like I said, they're not really going to compete for the playoffs, but they do have a couple expiring deals. Um, Marco Bellinelli um, at, at $6.6 million, Irsan Ilyasova at $6 million, and Luke Babbitt at $1.4 million are all expiring deals that they could look to move at the deadline if they're trying to maybe pick up assets or maybe they take on a bigger asset. Maybe they take on a bigger contract but pick up an a- asset, uh, whether it be a, dra- a draft pick of some kind in the process. Um, they also have Dwayne Dedman and Mike Muscala. Um, they, these guys are both injured on around $6 million deals, um, but they do have um, player options. However, th- there might be a way to figure out trading them to some someone, um, depending on what they want to do with the option. Um, so they're, they're just kind of a lot of tough decisions for the Hawks to make to finish out the season. Um, obviously, like I said, I don't think they're going to compete for the playoffs at all, but they have to kind of figure out what their priorities are and then make moves significant to that with the trade deadline coming up in about a month. Um, I think they need to really look into what they're what they're going to do. I think for me, um, if I was in the driver's seat with, for the Hawks, there's three kind of keys I find for them. Uh, they have to find a way to get out from under Miles Plumlee's con- terrible contract, um, whether whether that be a trade or however they want to figure it out. Um, they could figure out a buyout option um, just so that they just don't have it on the books. I mean, he's not playing. He's not a, he's not a solid NBA player. He's not someone who's going to kind of be a key cog in a championship team and so they they need to find a way to move on um and then they need to decide um who how do they want to build going forward they're going to have a top at this rate they're probably going to have a top five pick if not the top pick um the 2018 draft is going to is is loaded but it's going to it's going to have a ton of guys at two specific positions that the hawks can look at they're going to have there's going to be at least two elite centers in the draft with deandre ayton and mohammed bamba and there's going to be a couple elite uh guards point guards whether it be Luka Doncic, Colin Sexton, or Trey Young. And so the Hawks have to think about, okay, are we committed to Dwayne Dedman and Dennis Schroeder? Are we committed to one? Are we committed to both? Are we committed to neither? And then if that's the case, they have to figure out how to move on from them. Um, the Hawks famously traded Teague to double down on Schroeder, but they, do they still feel that way? Are they willing to part with Schroeder um, in order to maybe help them offload Plumlee or another, or another contract and get some more uh, draft picks or some young guys, and then they can go from there and draft a point guard. Um, do they want to work on offloading Plumlee and Dwayne Dedman and go out and get a one of the centers in the draft? Um, that's definitely something that they're going to have to work through with their scouting department and decide. I would definitely um, kind of probably prioritize uh, maybe looking at, at the center. Um, I think that's got to be something they can consider going forward. Um, and then for the Hawks, another thing to note is that they do have two additional first-round picks coming from Minnesota and Houston that are both, you know, above, better, like, top 10 protected. Uh, not exactly top 10, but both of those picks are going to convey to the Hawks as long as they fall outside the top 10 for sure. And so the Hawks will likely get both of those, um, in which case the Hawks can probably leverage those into into getting um, either moving up more, if they want to package those with them, with some with a guy, maybe Bays more, and try and get an extra, extra lottery pick or something along those lines. But either way, the Hawks are going to look at having three picks in the draft, one in the top top three probably, and the other two 
in in the mid mid to late twenties, and they have to find a way um, to maneuver their current roster and find guys that they like to start kind of kind of their rebuild and push forward. All right. So moving on, um, I'm going to talk about the Orlando Magic. Uh, the Magic are 12 and 28. Uh, they're 14th in the East, and actually one and nine in their last 10, but also one in 13 in their last 14. Um, they've had uh, in both November and December they had nine had they had separate nine game losing streaks. Um, they the Magic started out as one of the hottest teams in the league. Um, a lot of people were talking about, oh, can they sustain this? This is the surprise Magic. What what is going on? And uh, the Magic have, have crashed back down to earth. Uh, both their offense and their defense are in the bottom 10. Um, their offense is 23rd at 105.4 uh, rating, and their defense is 28th at 111.4. Um, I, I talked about the Magic early on in the season when they were shooting, shooting hot um, and kind of surprising everyone. And, and the key takeaway from that was their, their winning was based on very hot shooting and that that was probably unsustainable because the quality of their shots weren't great and guess what that turned out to be exactly the case their shooting was unsustainable and when they were once a top five shooting team they're now sitting 17th in the league at effective field goal percentage and that number could continue to drop if they continue to play as poorly as they have um, despite that, there are some positives. Um, Aaron Gordon continues to play really well. He's having a career year, um, which is perfect timing for him as he's about to go into free agency. Um, he's shooting 39% from three, which is um, an 11% improvement over last year. He's averaging 19 points per game. And uh, Frank Vogel seems to have unlocked uh, kind of what Gordon's potential is and uh, found ways for him to succeed. Um, the Magic are also getting some some strong uh, contributions from Evan. Uh, don't Google my name, Fournier. Um, he's playing pretty well alongside... Gordon, um, Terrence Roth, and just Terrence Roth, Ross, and Jonathan Simmons are both injured currently, but have been kind of spark plug wings. Um, they were both looked at as kind of good acquisitions by the Magic. Simmons was a signing this year. Terrence Ross, um, what came over in the Ibaka deal when they dealt Ibaka to the Raptors. So those guys have looked well for the Magic. Magic, despite them struggling. Um, they have part of their recent struggles have been injuries. Uh, I mentioned Terrence Ross and Jonathan Simmons are both injured, but Nikolai Vucevic and Jonathan Isaac are also injured as well and not playing. Um, the injuries have allowed um, the Magic to give Mario Hazonia, who's been a pretty dramatic disappointment since he was selected fourth um, in the draft a couple years ago, allowed him to kind of play more, and he's shown that he might be a might be an NBA role player. Um, he's not looked particularly great, but he's. He's looked a little bit better than um, he did in his first couple seasons, but he's still concerning. Um, this is the last year of his deal with the Magic, and he hits free agency uh, this offseason, and so probably not looking at the Magic bringing him back unless there's more under wraps that they're seeing that everyone else isn't seeing. Um, Bismack Biombo continues to be a continues to be a disappointment and is probably competing for the worst co- contract in the league belt. Um, he's he's getting paid $17 million a year, and he's definitely not playing like it right now. So, um, the Magic are kind of in the kind of a similar boat as the Hawks, as they're they're kind of fighting in the race for the bottom in the top tr- top draft pick come June. Um, as as they've kind of cratered and their offenses come back down to earth, um, it doesn't make sense, and they likely don't really have the ability to kind of claw their way back into the playoff race. It's, it makes more sense for them just kind of settling down here and kind of evaluate where they're going. Um, they have a new GM in John Hammond from the Bucks that they gained this offseason, but um, he came over uh, too late for him to make significant changes before the season started, and so I think you will see them start to make changes go 
going from now on. Um, we're going to see uh, the trade deadline coming up, and that's probably where he's going to start making significant moves. Um, Biombo has another year at $17 million before a player option final year, um, so he's he's kind of hard to move. Um, Fournier is similar. He's got two more years at $17 million before a player option final year. Vucevic has got another year at $12 million. Um, Ross has has another year at $10 million, um, and Simmons has two more years at $6 million left before they could be traded. But uh, I think Ross and Simmons could probably both still be a little bit of trade bait. Um, there might be a way for the Magic to maybe move them to a contender for a late draft pick or something along those lines if they're interested in that. Um, I think um, the uh, two pieces that the Magic will definitely uh, seriously consider moving are DJ Augustine, who's got two more years at around $7.25 million each year, and Shelvin Mack, who's got one more year at $6, at $6 million. Um, both of these guys have kind of been overpaid backups point guard augustine was good with the magic early on he was kind of a spark plug for their offense but it's kind of cooled off since then um and the magic have to kind of take a look at all these all these players and all their salaries that i've mentioned and just kind of think about how they're going to fit into the team going forward uh, both gordon and alfred payton will be restricted free agents this year and gordon specifically will definitely be looking to get paid um he's definitely played well enough to get paid um a large contract whereas alfred payton you know is probably going to want um, solid money, despite he maybe not deserving it nearly as much as Gordon. So the Magic definitely have to consider that. I think um, the key thing for the Magic is figuring out um, a way to get to deal out it. If one of Bismarck Biombo or uh, Vucevic, um, they have to get rid of both. Um, they can't play next to each other. Um, they both probably want to start and are being paid like starters, and so they have to find a way to deal one or figure out a better system. Um, obviously, Biombo's significantly harder to move because of his his just horrible, horrible contract. Um, so that that's going to be difficult for the Magic. Um, so maybe they hang on to Biombo for a little bit longer as they kind of build. But they have to take into account who they're going to look to draft here in June. Uh, like similar situation with Hawks. Um, they have a young point guard and they have a couple centers. Um, do they want to move on from the point guard? Do they want to move on from both or at least one of the centers and draft one or the other? Um, they're going to have significant questions um, come draft time, and a, a lot of what they do around the trade deadline um, will kind of dictate that. I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way around the trade deadline to to entice a contender into taking Ross or Simmons in an exchange for either an asset or the contender also taking on uh, Vucevic or maybe even Biombo. So um, kind of be on the lookout for that. But uh, What's key for the Magic is they have to kind of spend the rest of this year evaluating what they have in whether it be assets or for the future, and then go from there and how they're going to play the offseason um, and, and whatnot. So moving on, um, kind of out of the uh, disappointing category of this division into a little bit more excitement, uh, we have the Charlotte Hornets. Um, they're 15-23. and 23. They're in 11th in the East. They're about four and a half games out of the playoffs. Um, but they are on a two-game win streak. They're out. They have been 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Um, the Hornets season has kind of been below expectations for the most part uh, so far, but um, and they've kind of they're in that position now. You know, we're coming up on the halfway part of the season. They have to make a decision: are they going to push for the playoffs? Are they going to start shutting guys down when they get injured? How are they going to play the rest of the season? And so, for the for the Hornets at least, well, it looks like tanking or at least not pushing as hard for the playoffs might be the optimal solution for them. It's, it's worth noting that there, there might be um, a spot for them to kind of snake into the playoffs um, and kind of find some good and the bad. 
Um, they're 17th offensively uh, with a 106.6 offensive rating and 12th defensively with a 107.2 defensive rating. Um, they've, they're also the best um, on offense when it comes to turnover rate um, at 13.3%. And this is actually the fifth straight year that they've been the best uh, offense turning it over, best at uh, avoiding turning it over on, on, on offense. Also, their offensive rebound percentage defense, um, keeping other teams off the glass, has been top five, is top five for the fifth straight year. Um, they're at 22.7%, which is third. And kind of the final stat um, I want to talk about for them is that their net rating is negative uh, 0.7, but their win differential is negative 3.3. So um, they're, this, this means that they're underperforming by uh, three games. You would expect a team playing like they're playing to have won three more games than they have. Um, and so if you kind of swap, swap out those three games, um, and, and depending on who they, who they had come against, they would, they would be right there on the cusp of the playoff race. So that's kind of important to take into effect. Um, the key, the kind of key weakness for the Hornets and what's, what's holding them back and is, is that they are absolutely terrible with Kemba off the court, um, especially on offense. Um, their net rating without Kemba is negative 12.3 and their offensive rating is 96.1 with a 44% effective field goal percentage. So when they, when Kemba goes to the bench, uh, the Hornets often fall apart and that's just, you know, that's kind of the trouble. In the league, especially when you only have really one uh, go-to star, um, Dwight's been good for them this year, but is definitely not a star in, in the way that Kemba is. And, um, and so, um, because of this, there uh, this this throws them in trouble. And this this is more than just a stats thing. Um, when you watch the Hornets and Kemba goes to the bench, it's pretty clear um, why they're struggling so bad. The offense completely stagnates, spacing falls apart, they can't get open shots, um, and it's it's there are often possessions where they just kind of do a lot of nothing, a lot of handoffs, side pick and rolls that don't do anything, and then they just take a contested shot because there's nothing to do, or they dump it into the post for a bad post up, or, or what have you. Um, part of this comes from the fact that they, they're not a very good shooting team. Um, outside of Kemba, they only have two other players that are better They're better um, than the 50th percentile when it comes to effective shooting for their position. That's Marvin Williams and Trayvon Graham. Everyone else is below 50%, including Jeremy Lamb, who started off the season pretty hot, but has had has dealt with some injury issues since. Um, you would think um, they drafted Malik Monk um, in in the draft in June, and you would you would hope that by this time he was kind of getting getting his uh, getting figured getting the NBA figured out and was starting to be able to make plays, um, especially um, on ball or off ball when Kemba takes a seat. But that just hasn't hasn't kind of sh- hasn't happened yet, um, and Monk still struggles on ball sometimes, um, and. Charlotte just doesn't really have many options to kind of fill this Kemba void. Um, Mark, Michael, Michael Carter-Williams is the, their backup uh, point guard, and he has, he's been awful. Um, he continues to look like he probably doesn't belong in the league. Um, and the, the worst part is, if they were going to look to make a trade to fill that void, um, Carter-Williams is one of, the, is one of uh, their three expiring deals, along with Johnny O'Brien and Julian Stone. So that's not very good trade bait for Charlotte. Neither of those guys are going to draw significant interest. Um, so Charlotte would probably have to look to move one of their core core pieces to pick up play, the playmaking they need off the bench and, and to make that playoff push. Um, the only other thing they could think about, and I, I'm not sure if this is even in their calculus, but they could go the other way and look to deal Kemba um, in exchange for maybe some youth and a, a draft pick or two, and then kind of work to build for the future. Um, right now, they're projected to pick 10th, um, but they only have two more wins um, than everyone between them in the top five. So it would not be hard for them to deal Kemba or even maybe deal a couple pieces of their core 
and all of a sudden they go from, you know, being right in the middle there to falling in the, oh, we're picking fourth, we're picking fifth, we're picking sixth, sixth something like that. And um, with the depth of the draft, um, moving up at all would be significant. You're going to get yourself a guy that's going to be on, on, the, on the path to be a star or at least a, a solid all-star level player in the league. So um, I think, like I said, I don't think this is the way they're going to go. I think that's going to be a hard sell for their organization as a whole, but it's also a hard, very hard for them to make work because they have a lot committed to Dwight and they have long-term deals for uh, Batum, Zeller, Michael Kidd, Gilch, Christ, and Marvin Williams. Um, they seem to be more committed to this roster at, rather than blowing it up. It would take a variety of pretty significant moves to blow it up. Um, they'd have to deal probably at least two of those guys, if not a three of them, to make room to kind of do what they want to do. And that would also probably be in conjunction with dealing Kemba. That's just a that's just a hard sell to the fan base. Um, Kemba Soup, one of the mo- more exciting players in the league. He's, he's he's in position to make another All Star game this year, and so dealing Kemba away to just commit to a tank is is definitely going to be a tough decision to make. But you know, um, depending on how the season continues to play out, like I I said, they've got about a month until the trade deadline. They could very well get to the trade deadline. They're still middling like this, and they'd be like, yeah. And then there's a great offer on the table for Kemba where it's dealing him to a you know, a, a contender, a team a little bit better than them, or swapping them with a young team that wants to get ready faster in exchange for assets, something along those lines. Um, you certainly wouldn't expect uh, a team with a solid point guard to come calling, but would it be a surprise if, you know, I, I don't think this would be the case, would be surprised if the 76ers came calling and offered, you know, Sarge or some kind of asset? You know, if, if a if a too-good-to-be-true deal lands on the table for the Hornets, you know they might not be in a position to say no. Um, just kind of given where they are and given where Kemba's level of play is at, you, you know he's probably going to be f- getting frustrated um, with how good the team is um, versus how well he's playing. So that's something worth to keep an eye out on. <clears throat> All right, so moving on to uh, one of the two uh, teams in playoff position for the South Southeastern uh, Division is the Miami Heat. And so... Uh, Miami Heat are 21 and 17th. They're currently sixth in the East, and they've won seven of their last ten. Um, before I kind of jump into the Heat, I'm gonna just kind of preface this with I've been kind of I've been a Heat fan my entire life. Uh, grew up as a Heat fan. Um, my earliest memories of basketball are kind of watching D Wade, um, and probably some of my best basketball memories are watching the 2006 Finals and D Wade just turning it on. So the Heat are close to my heart, but I'll try and be uh, unbiased when I talk about them and not let my my fan opinion um, kind of break into my my basketball expert type opinion. Um, the Heat are kind of the reverse of Charlotte in a lot of ways. Um, they have a pedestrian offense that's 22nd, um, and it's driven down by their high turnover rate, where Charlotte has a low one. The Heat are second, have the second highest turnover rate at 16.1%. Um, and but the Heat do have a stronger defense. They're thirteenth in defense with a one hundred seven point three defensive rating. Um, so the Heat's point differential is negative one point nine, which is uh, one point two points worse than Charlotte's. While the Heat are have won uh, six more games than Charlotte has. And so based on their point differential, the Heat are actually outperforming their projected wins by five. So meaning that um, they should have the same amount of wins as Charlotte has based on their point differential and how well they've played. Um, a big part of why this point differential is where it is is because uh, their blowout, the Heat are kind of have a lot of blowout losses for, and close wins. Um, nine of the Heat's 17 losses are by 10 or more, including seven of those being by 15 or more. 
while 11 of their 21 wins are by six or less. So you see that most of their losses are blowouts. Most of their wins are close. And so that's kind of what drives this point differential. Um, the Heat have been extremely balanced this year. Uh, their top eight, top eight guys um, have are all scoring 10 or more points. Uh, Justice Winslow is the only player averaging 20 or more minutes per game who's not scoring at least 10 per game. Um, and so this balanced attack has been good and bad for them. Um, the downside is is it's hard to say that they have any real stars. Obviously, Hassan Whiteside and Goran Dragic are their best players, but um, Hassan is the only pl- is is uh, the only player with a PER above 16. Um, Kelly Olenek is sitting right at 16, Hassan's at 25, but Hassan has only played 20 games this season, so there's a small sample size, and PER is not the best metric. Um, but the verdict is kind of out on Whiteside, at least in my opinion. Um, if, if, if we were just talking what I thought of Whiteside, I'm not a big Whiteside fan. Um, I wasn't a fan when the, he gave him that massive contract, because I don't think you can build a championship contender around him, uh, and I still still feel that way. But um, Whiteside is an elite rebounder and shot blocker and defensive player. Um but the Heat aren't amazing when he's on the floor. They play like a 37-win team when he is, um, and he absolutely kills the offense. The offense is significantly better with him off the floor. But um, no matter what, kind of where they sit, it looks like the Heat are going to, as long as they continue to play the way they are, they're going to find a way to you know, fight their way into the playoffs. Where, where, whether it be in the sixth position that they're currently at or they drop into the seventh or eighth seed, um, they're, they're in position to make the playoffs. Eric Spolstra has kind of proven to be one of the better coaches in the league. Um, he sparked their turnaround last year where they went 30 and 11 over the last the second half of the season and so um, barring a, a second half collapse this season they'll stay in the playoff hunt and Spolster's coaching kind of makes them one of the more annoying and difficult teams to play they're, they're very hyperactive especially on offense they have lots of cuts lots of motion a lot of movement um, Goran Dragic is extremely crafty um, James Johnson is kind of a energizer buddy he doesn't really like to stop moving and that can present problems for both the Heat and their opponents but uh, it looks like they're going to fight their way into the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens there. Um, kind of the way this rock- roster is constructed is they're going to be a playoff team, a middle-tier playoff team that kind of doesn't that can give uh, whoever they're playing a hard time, but not really beat them. Um, and so that's but they're the thing is with the Heat is they're kind of locked into this roster, and so. That's why it's hard to talk about the future for them. Um, they have seven players on contract through the 20, 2020, the end of the 2020 season, and all of those seven are making at least $9 million. That, that includes Whiteside, Tyler Johnson, Goran Dragic, James Johnson, Deion Waiters, Kelly Olenek, and Josh Richardson. Um, and so kind of when you look at those seven guys, at least for me, um, there's guys I definitely like in that group. I like James Gillette Johnson. I like Josh Richardson and his potential. But there's also guys I don't really like in that group, like Whiteside and Kelly Olenek. Um when you, when you look at that seven, if those are the seven you're going to bat with, um, and for the Heat, that's definitely what it's going to be. Um, they do not have their pick this year and also don't have their pick in 2021. Um, these are the seven guys they're likely going to bat with for the next couple of years unless they want to work a trade, and that's, that's seven guys they're going to do what they're going to do this year. They're going to compete. They're going to probably make the playoffs, and then they're going to get uh, knocked out of the first round after maybe giving one of the top seeds a hard time. Um, the Heat are not really um, built to kind of be super successful, and they kind of are remind me of the Nets teams um, with Pierce and KG, who are both at the end of their careers. Um, they were going to compete. They were going to fight for a mid mid seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Maybe give someone a couple hard games or two, and then in the end, kind of bow that bow out in the first round. So, as a fan, that's kind of disappointing. Um, I was hoping Justice Winslow was going to be better than he is, but he's he's struggling and he can't get a shot right. So. Um, we'll kind of see where the Heat goes from go from here. I don't really expect them to improve more than where they're at or 
um, get worse than where they're at, but just kind of hang around. So, And finally, uh, to move on to the last Southeastern team uh, this week, um, we have the Washington Wizards, who are 23-17. and 17. Uh, They're fourth in the East. Uh, they're 7-3 and three in the last 10 as well. Um, the Wizards are, have been the class of the Southeastern Conference for a couple years, and they, they continue to be there. Uh, they're fourth in the Eastern Conference uh, with the eighth-best uh, point differential in the league at plus, uh, plus three, while they are underperforming uh, their win differential with that rating by about a game. So you would expect them to have won one more game than they have. Um, the Wizards are top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating. Offensive rating of 108.7, defensive rating of 105.7. They're top 10 in both offensive and defensive turnover rate. 13.9% um, of offensive possessions are turnovers while they're turning over uh, other teams at a rate of 15.6% of possessions. And uh, that's kind of where they're deadly. Um, they, the Wizards are an absolutely... Um, destructive transition team and that's kind of the that's what you expect with a john wall team um a live ball turnover against the wizards is basically uh suicide and just guaranteeing you're about to give up a basket uh the wizards are scoring 148 uh points per 100 uh live ball turnover possessions um bradley beal has been really good for them so far this year um he's shown um and played out really well um he's played in every game so far which has been good considering that wall has missed 11 games and so Brad, Bradley's kind of has having a career year for himself, um, and is pacing the Wizards. He's his stats are, are in line with what he did last year, but he's kind of taking on a heavier burden because of the the injuries Wall has had to face, and the, and the Wizards have not really regressed at all. So that's good for Wall, um, good for Beal. Wall's kind of kind of um, quietly having a, a, one of his worst seasons, if not his worst seasons since 2012, 2013. Um, he's averaging only 18 points per game. He's only shooting about 41 percent. His assist numbers are down by about assist. A game this year, um, and part of that is Bradley Beal taking over uh, some of the playmaking and, and responsibilities and the injuries Wall has facing. Um, but despite this down year for Wall, um, Wall and Beal kind of combined to form the best backcourt duo in the East, in my opinion. Obviously, Lowry and DeRozan and the Raptors have an argument to be made there, but um, the flip side of being the best backcourt duo in the East is that uh, the, the Wizards are kind of an absolute disaster when neither Wall or Beal are on the floor. Um, when they're both off the floor, the Wizards' net rating is negative 4.9, and their offensive rating is 100.7, um, which would be worse in the league if that's what it was for the rest of the year. Um, and a lot of more of this is driven by Wall being off the floor than Beal being off the floor, despite Wall's struggles and the fact that Beal has been pretty good so far this season. Uh, the Wizards are minus uh, 0.5 when Beal plays without Wall, but plus 2.9 when Wall plays without Beal. So Wall is still the engine that makes the Wizards go. Um, he, he pushes that transition forward. He's just a unique player in that way. Um, whereas uh, Beal has continued, continued to improve, but he just doesn't bring the same um, offensive just engine capa capacity that Wall does. Um, the Wizards' uh, biggest weakness is the same weakness that they've had for years. It's their bench. Um, their bench is very, very weak. Um, that can be. It's pretty clear why, why their bench is so uh, weak, and it, it kind of shows the worst um, when they play elite teams. Uh, the Wizards played the Bucks last night in a game they lost by seven. Wall was plus one, um, and the starters overall were only minus five, but the bench was minus thirty. Uh, so you can't you can't really have that. Um, and when I say minus thirty, I mean all the plus minus of all the bench players added up is minus thirty, whereas the plus minus of all the starters is minus five. So um, the the Wizards have to kind of find a way to shore, shore up their bench. Um, it, they're hampered because they have a lack of cap cap flexibility because of the uh, kind of albatross of a deal that they gave Jan Mahimi that he's not playing up to, but they're going to they have to find a way to um, either make a movie the deadline or do something to 
shore up the playmaking on their defense on their bench units or um scotty brooks has got to find a way to, to stagger minutes better make sure wall and beal you know they play together because they're great when they're together but that they also have time apart so that these bench units aren't complete collapses um brooks has been famous for playing wall and beal significant minutes and then having to take them both out so that they can rest and then it's like you have five or six minutes of the bench just kind of running around with, uh, like chickens with their head cuts off and it's part of the reason why um they couldn't finish out the series against the celtics last year you could just see how tired wall and Beal were especially wall was at the end of that series um just even though he had a great game six you could he was physically and visibly just just drained for game seven and that's part of that is just the minutes load um so the Warriors are. I think. Um, I think they're they're plucky. They're they're kind of they're going to be a fearsome contender in the East. I mean, they're going to be a top four seed most likely. Um, I don't think they'll be able to move into the top three. And depend if they can hold the Bucks off, they'll at least have home court advantage against them instead of them flipping. But <coughs> given that, I think um, uh, they they have played all the elite teams close. Um, they split one one uh, with the Raptors and Bucks so far this year. They've beaten the Celtics, um, and both of the games they lost to the Cavs have been close, but. I think if they truly want to be a contender uh, to make the finals and even f- you know even put up a fight in the finals, um, they're going to have to make a move. Um, obviously, the Demarcus Cousins move is the the move all the all Wizards fans uh, want to see, and I would actually want to see it too, just to see him and Wall rejoin. But given how well Boogie's playing in New Orleans, I think it's probably not likely that we'll see that. Um, uh, I just don't think New Orleans is willing to part ways with him. But hey, you never know uh, what can happen around the trade deadline. And again, it's important that if the Wizards do make that move, they try and do it in a way that they can keep one of the two of Porter and Oubre. Obviously, they're not going to give up Waller Beal, but, you know, if they can send off Gortat, maybe Oubre, maybe some some other player and get back Cousins, um, that's definitely worth worth going. But uh, the Wizards are definitely worth keeping an eye on. Um, they're going to play. They're going to fight. Um, their biggest... Probably the, the thing I like the best about them is the Wizards aren't scared of any team. Um, they clearly think they are the best team in the East um, and are willing to say that and get in people's faces. Um, they, they seem to think that the Cavs are scared of them. I'm sure they think Boston's also scared of them. And I know they think that the Raptors are scared of them because the only time they met in the playoffs, the Wizards swept them. Um, and I think that swagger is something they have to maintain. Um, but they, they have some things to work out. they got to figure out a way to bolster their bench units so they don't just get killed there. Scotty Brooks has got to figure out minutes distribution to make sure Wall and Beal aren't gassed at the end of games and that they have time. Um, and so and kind of if staggering is the best way, stagger them so the bench doesn't die and that they each get the, enough rest um, so they aren't out there you know just with no energy at the end of the game. So all in all, um, I think uh, the Wizards are clearly the best team in this division and will likely be for the, the the, the um, close future, the next three, four, five years. So um, that's the tour of the Southeast Division. Um, it's not super exciting uh, given um, three, at least three of the teams are not going to make the playoffs, and a fourth team might might also miss the playoffs if the Heat were to collapse. But um, they do have the Wizards. Um, they're one of the more exciting teams uh, in the league with John Wall. And so um, it's all, I, I mean, obviously all, all teams are worth um, keeping an eye on, but the southeast team for 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 certain so um thanks for tuning in to the uh tickle the twine podcast no fast break this week uh because i kind of went long on all of these teams but uh you know uh, i hope you enjoy it keep listening um it really helped out uh, especially if you're listening to this on itunes just kind of rate it review it um let me know what's good what's bad um hit me up on twitter tickle the twine three uh with comments or whatever um 
So uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.